Med Family is a show about a family journeying through medical school with kids and navigating married life. Tag along to see how we got here and where this journey is taking us. Hello, welcome to another week of our podcast, Med Family. I am the host, Eric Acker, and hosting with me this week is Karen. Hey, guys. You got to take last week off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, off, air oh. quotes, you were wrangling the kids. I was keeping the kids quiet so you didn't hear them in the background. Now, was it keeping them quiet or keeping them from breaking the window more? <laughs> yeah, we had a difficult week with things getting broken. Two windows have been broken this week. Two. Why? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, apparently, I, it's, the ti- it's, it's time. The window <laughs> has finally come. It's life... Lifetime has elapsed. Now we must break it. I don't know. Our, our third oldest, we're pretty sure it's him, right? It's the well, second for sh- youngest. For sure the one window was him. I'm not sure that the second window. The second one is suspicious for a thrown object. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're not rolling out headbutt again. <laughs> My goodness. But. So we ended up, well, we got a guy that came out and gave us a quote on the first window and, you know, for sake of convenience, we went ahead and paid for it. Now we got to wait two weeks for it to show up. Right. And the second one occurred very recently, not too long after the, the gentleman had left. And doubling that price <laughs> was a bit hard to swallow. So Eric is in the process of fixing the second one, it which has, has been, a, been a process. <laughs> Apparently finding window glass is difficult. And then... For that size that size a 30 by 36 i mean that window is 28 and a quarter by 28 and a quarter but yeah yeah so we finally have the glass it is cut to size so and not by me this time (laughs) so over the weekend i had tried to do it myself and i finally i found after going to three different stores i found the right size and of course at that location they didn't have someone there to cut the glass for me so i took it home got you know with a a glass cutter and I followed the instructions as best as I could and I think I got just I got all the way to the very end where I was cutting it wasn't wasn't perfect lines or anything like that but it was going to work it was you know nobody was going to be able to see but there was like one little kind of mountain peak that I needed to to knock down to make it look relatively flat uh, for that edge, and I ended up using pliers to try to, because I didn't want to cut my hand on it, and I ended up, I snapped it off, which was what it was supposed to happen, except for it ended up cracking, and it, the crack went into the middle of the, the glass, so it's like the entire purpose was to put a fresh new bit of glass on without any cracks, and I just introduced one with a giant crack in it, so that that happened and that basically ruined my my entire day of project. I was like, I'm going to get this done in one day. <laughs> on I was on Mother's Day, so you know that was what I was doing on Mother's Day. I was like, I'm going to get this whole project done, and then that happened. So I proceeded to take it to the trash can and got better at cutting glass <laughs> while I was at the trash can. But anyway, I found some glass at a home improvement store in Macon, and so I drove up there 
yesterday and got the glass. They didn't have the cutter working at that location, but I recalled that one of the first locations I went to on Sunday did have a cutter available and working, so I went back there today, and a nice gentleman helped cut the glass for me, and he did a very good job. Now it's sitting in the, the garage waiting for install. So Yeah, so that will save us a chunk of change. It will save us... Over uh, half the price. Well, we, we were going to spend basically 250 on the window. Yeah. And with the tools I bought <laughs> to do this project, we will probably save about, about 150 Yeah. So, yeah, like you said, about half, yeah. Yeah, so that has been exciting. Our we we don't have a hole in the wall like we we do have this double plane glass so we we haven't we have yeah we have one pane <laughs> we, we don't have like animals crawling in and out of the house <laughs> but um yeah so that that has been exciting and frustrating <laughs> but you know it comes with the territory of having boys I guess yeah and then I may never see my truck again. I, I, <laughs> you will see your truck again, your beloved truck. I know. I, um, I, now all I keep thinking about is like Karen finally got her wish. She's, <laughs> she's off my truck. No, no. <laughs> it's like in my dreams. Caleb is doing a triathlon today and borrowed the truck to carry a kayak, carry a kayak so that somebody could spot him while I just, swimming. I just thought he had said it was like, oh, by like late morning, early afternoon, he'll be able to like bring it back. And so I never thought that these things go all day. Yeah. So he started at 6. A.M. It is. It's almost Well, nine. I checked in at 8 and he was almost done. So... <laughs> But I mean, it's. Who are you kidding? If she said like six miles left. For me, that would have been like six hours. At she least. didn't say six miles. Pretty sure. Oh, about five more miles. You are correct. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean. That would have been five more hours for me. <laughs> <laughs> a nice walking pace <laughs> or crawl at that. I don't know. Is it last? It, it yeah, goes swimming to swimming, biking to biking running? Biking to running, oh, yeah. Dear. I don't know if he did like the Iron Man or just the triathlon. I, I think the Iron Man is longer. Oh, I don't know. Like Susanna had said Iron Man the other day, but then Caleb said triathlon yesterday. So I'm assuming it's the triathlon. Uh, who knows? But yeah, so we're probably not going to get the truck back until tomorrow. Oh, I miss it. <laughs> he had to drive my car today. What a shame. Your car's not that bad. <laughs> my just... car is not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. <laughs> it's not a van. <laughs> to be fair, I do prefer driving that to Atlanta and back than the truck. Yeah. Not to mention the gas mileage is better. Significantly so. Seven miles per the gallon isn't exactly significant. It is when you're traveling hundreds of miles. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So Eric's made a couple trips to Atlanta, picking people up from the airport or dropping them off. He will again this weekend. Yes, hopefully no repeats of last Thursday. <laughs> no offense to Joe, but that was very early. It almost <laughs> killed me. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We'll, uh... <laughs> almost killed me. <laughs> Anyway, we got we got home okay, and yeah. he got to his exam, his and he passed. Every everyone's happy. Every everything worked out. So 
Yay. <laughs> I just ex- I went up early on Thursday to help another classmate or former classmate now since he matched and he's in residency, help him build his house. And uh, my intention was to just return back and pick up uh, student Joe at the airport on the way home. And that ended up being a bit later than anticipated. Uh, which means I worked a lot longer than anticipated, and which means <laughs> he's a lot more tired than anticipated. But to be fair, like Joe had no control over his flight being canceled. Right? Yeah. I so. mean, airlines, pilots, timeout, and what whatnot. So yeah. Anywho, we but. we survived. <laughs> so um, yeah, technically this week is spring break. Technically. Technically. Um, Eric has done a practice test. Well, what I've noticed is that, sorry, I'm rewinding. So technically it is spring break, but fifth term, I think, started this week. Oh. They only have like 42 or so people in fifth term. So that kind of, it's not as big as previous fifth terms. Oh. But yeah, they started, I don't don't know why they're not taking spring break or maybe they had a little bit of a gap uh, from when they took the NBMEs and the island and here. I'm not really sure. I'm not very clear. But uh, I've noticed an influx of cars at the at the Douglas Skeleton Center, and people seem to be showing up and uh, doing their school stuff. So I think I think spring break's over for fifth term. For clinical rotations, people are in spring break, uh, which generally means, for me anyway, it means more study time. I I need as much as I can get because I, my general plan right now is to take step two very soon after I finish my surgery shelf. And I'm technically on the online surgery portion, so this gives me a little extra time to prepare for my in-person surgery time as well. So it's kind of a two for a uh, week. I know some people are going to like the coast and some people are back home. Some people are going to come back home. So it's like, it's kind of what you want to make of it sort of time uh for me it's it's kind of crunch time every every day every week is kind of a a necessary day for studying because that step two is coming and i actually need to pick a date um i'm kind of torn between three dates i guess oh i didn't know this so the three dates i'm looking at right now is august 1st august 5th and august 8th and it all kind of bears down on do I think it's going to be three to four weeks for my test score to come back, or do I think it's going to be two and a half like other people have had? Yeah, that's tough because <laughs> you can't... So Eric has an away rotation starting on the 29th of August, so he has to have the test score back by then. Otherwise, he cannot start his... According to them, that is the rule. Yeah. So that's rough. I... Did you talk to um, Joseph and see when his was? He got a, he got it. So he took it on a Monday, and then two and a half weeks. So two weeks plus a couple of days. He got it back on a Wednesday. Okay. So that's why I'm. Kind of, but they are going to have a pause here, in starting I think in June until end of July, where they are not going to be grading anything, and then. But even on the website, they say. If you take your exam late July, you should get scores back, uh, I believe it was like the week of August 10th, which is about two Two and a half half weeks. weeks. Hmm. So, but on the same website, it says, we typically return scores within three to four weeks. 
So I was like, ah, gosh, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, unknown there because I could give myself a little extra time, but take a bit of a risk by going to the 8th, I believe it's the 8th, um, or I should go for the 1st and give myself a week less time of studying. And, and anyway, it's at some point I do need to pick a date because <laughs> eventually these dates are going to be gobbled up and I'm yeah. not going to have an option. These I'm looking at making right now. So it would just be a, you know, trip, quick trip in the morning up north as opposed to a several hour drive, s- like we have to do drive, with hotel room and blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, so we're going to, I know we're going to put some thought into it, I guess. <laughs> I just kind of spun this on Karen. So <laughs> I'd probably go in the middle. Maybe we can't. Those are the three dates. Well, yeah. But if you do Friday, it's just it's oh. just over the weekend, and then you have the eighth. That's true. So it doesn't really make it doesn't a big really difference. make that much of a difference. Yeah. I don't know. I'll have to think about that one. It's not particularly clear. Anywho, but he did. You did take a practice test already. Oh yeah, I, I decided to kick off my step two studying with a an NBME practice <laughs> exam. So I took one for step two, and I. I did not get a passing score. I got close you to were a really passing. Close. Well, they just upped the passing score. Yeah, they upped the passing score. I got so, close to it, but not. I didn't surpass it, so I still have some work to do, obviously. And I have 10, 10, 12 weeks to do that kind of work. So we will see. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to take this. Amboss has a free um, self assessment going on from the 5th of May to the 15th of May, and I figured it's free, might as well take it, so I'll do another one. Probably tomorrow. Yeah, and this is all in keeping with the general theme of building endurance for this upcoming test, because that was my biggest problem. I think material, knowing material is one problem I'm going to have for step two, but having the endurance to continue to like answer questions with some sort of competency as you get to the 300th question that's gonna be my other problem so I'm trying to build the endurance to get to that level and so I'm trying to fit in as many assessments as I can I'm gonna basically create my own my own exams where I'm not gonna get a three-digit score but I'm just going to have timed sections I have to get through yeah and you had talked um, you were switching things up from what you did on step one versus step two, just in how you approach test day. Um, I know in step one, I think you took one scheduled break. Yeah, I, and, I blasted through too much. Yeah, so this one you're you're planning on taking your 10-minute breaks after each section, having some sort of snack, going to the bathroom, stretching your legs, whatever it may be that way. You are giving yourself like a little mental break before you get right back into it. Um, was that something Seth recommended or was, yeah. He, he was recommending following the, um, oh gosh, what is the guy? There's a guy, I forget his name now. It's like, it's called like Dirty Medicine. I think it's his YouTube channel. And he's got like test day or the leading up to test day prep, you know, how to, how to do well on test day and. Some of it's like exercising the day before, doing so a lot of so that you can sleep. So that you can sleep because, like me, my nerves kind of keep going, and so I'm always worried I'm not going to wake up in time for the exam, and 
And then he's got other suggestions like high protein meals because your brain you you know runs off more protein and not so much carbs. Uh, anyway, so he's got some a lot of the suggestions on diet, and some of his suggestion is taking your breaks, hydrating, eating some protein, and doing all that because that your body is going to need to hydrate and, <laughs> and have some fuel to get through the rest of the exam. And that was, again, some things I didn't do on step one. So I'm hoping to correct it and then do better on step two. So that's essentially what I'm trying to do here. Uh, and, of course, I'm trying, right now, of course, we're working on getting ready for surgery because our, our surgery preceptor has a reputation for being a little bit harder, um, a little, uh, expecting a lot more from his students. So I am hoping to not, not be a huge drag on uh my other fellow students who are with me on that rotation, so we'll see. And it's going to be six weeks, and so I still haven't really ruled out a possible uh, run at orthopedics, and so I still have to try to do really well on this one. This one can't be a coast rotation. I got to do well, get a possible letter of recommendation, and you know, because at this point I don't know if I'm going to have that away elective. So I'm, I can't, I can't really burn any bridges at this point. You shouldn't. You shouldn't ever burn a bridge anyway, but like there's, I guess, acceptable levels that preceptors will accept from people who are not interested in the specialty. And then there's levels that they expect from people who are interested. Uh, But at the same time, like you want to get as much as you can out of some of these rotations and you still want to be doing as good as you can. So anyway, it's just, it's going to be a fun six weeks and then I'll have three more with Dr. Wiley, who is an orthopedic surgeon. So that'll be, I've heard good things about that rotation. So I am looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to all nine weeks, but. (laughs) Yeah. So the first six weeks, um, there is, you will be switch. I think how it works is you switch off on call with who you're partnered with. Um, so we will see how that goes and how that affects (laughs) our, uh, podcast dates (laughs) we might need to be a little bit better about getting them uh taped on the weekends and edited so that yeah but even on call can be weekends as well yeah so So we'll we'll just figure it out and we'll try to record and edit as we have time and hopefully the audience can be forgiving for (laughs) times when we are not able to edit and record but yeah so a little i mean this is one that you've looked forward to for a while but um it kind of, in some re- in some aspects, I feel like you would have appreciated having this one earlier and an easier one at the end, so that you had better opportunity to study for step two. But that being said, I think we have somewhat of a plan going forward. With, I, I guess I'm trying to think back on like all my rotations and trying to pick out which one is technically easier. And I'm not really sure. Like so, psych. Psych. The shelf was easy, but the three weeks with Doctor Bashin was not. I mean, it was work. It wasn't hard, but it was still like eight to eight to five every day. And even in total medicine, there were you know three weeks with the hospital, as I was usually done by noon. So technically, but then of course you still had. Your three weeks with Dr. Lomboy and my three weeks with Dr. Morales, which was basically from eight to six, essentially. So 
I'm trying to think of any rotation that was quote unquote easy and that I would have I guess I would prefer to have <laughs> and I'm not really sure I'm I'm gonna be able to pick one out and I haven't done surgery yet so I don't really know. Yeah. Um like even going back to my first one, family medicine, like sure my preceptor, Doctor Amperfor, he he didn't have as much clinic days as uh, you would have assumed. But even then, the shelf was a tricky shelf, and you, you any, yeah. any spare time you got, you should have used for your shelf study time. So I don't I don't know. I, I and maybe some, for some other people that this comes a little bit easier, but I, I don't really have a a picked out rotation that I thought was like oh this I have this nothing but nothing but on. time I have nothing but time on with this rotation I mean the only thing maybe is an online ending online I guess you have your last three weeks study time and so you can just divide a little bit of time for shelf and a little bit of time for step two which is kind of covering your shelf as well so yeah but again like we're students we don't always get to pick out most of our schedule so we just no. kind of get what we're given <laughs> and we go with it no, I don't know. This should be an interesting, <laughs> an interesting, what, nine weeks? Um, on top of it, your Eric got, Eric is now part of the SGA. Student Government Association. I'm not a, any particularly excited. I'm, I'm in a, a position I think is more or less fitting for me. <laughs> I'm not in a, uh, a very, gosh, I was going to say, what, I'm not in a de- time demanding position, but even then I don't think that's true either. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think you'll get a lot of questions or complaints. So I, I'm, I was elected, quote, and unquote. There was nobody that ran against me, uh, which, I mean, whatever. <laughs> and clerkship core coordinator uh, or director of cores. I'm not sure, exactly sure the title, but essentially I am the, the point person for people who are in core rotations. If they have particular questions, they are supposed to possibly ask me if they're kind of running into a wall with some of the admin. Um, they're supposed to ask me for some pointers here and there and what's kind of supposed to help our fellow students and get them up and running for all these electives and so that they can be successful as well. So I had in the past, I had run for, I think, like Chief Justice and I didn't, I didn't win that one, which is fine. Uh, somebody else that won that and uh, they've been doing a pretty good job. So, And that has its own time demands. But I felt like core coordinator was more or less in line with what I already kind of do on podcasts and uh, and what I already do in talking to a lot of students as it is. So I f- figured there's a, probably a few extra things I have to do and learn. But uh, in general, it's something I already am doing. So it would be a natural fit. Anyway, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully... I can provide some useful information to students. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of what else is, has been new the last few weeks. <laughs> People are finally healthy. Yeah. Finally. The disease is no longer plaguing the family. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah. And yeah, we're just kind of getting back to the swing of things. It took a few days with Eric getting back from the conference and then that really wore you out. And then I was worn out too because I had four days just being me. With four kiddos. Yeah, I know that's, uh, I mean, I went to the conference and I, you know, I traveled driving 13, I didn't drive the entire 13 hours, Brandon drove most of it, but driving there and back and then felt like we walked about five miles a day during the conference, getting from one room to the next and then walking around the exhibit halls and whatnot. 
So I, I was tired from a lot of that, and I know, like, that's tiring, but Karen had four kids that she basically could never be, tur you know, off. Like, you could never be, like, I'm taking the mom hat off for a little bit and having a little bit of me time. Husband's got the kids. Like, you were 100% mom. <laughs> and I'm sure that was a little exhausting, especially with sick kids as well. Yeah. Um, Susanna came over one night, which was nice. And so we... It was it was a good practice run for when Eric does away rotations, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. And it was, I mean, again, if you haven't listened to the podcast we did, I think it was last week with Brandon and Alex. They did a pretty good job of kind of breaking down some of the high points that we had for the ACP conference. ACP is American College of Physicians. It's mostly for internal medicine physicians, and it's kind of the umbrella for internal medicine physician, physicians because obviously if you go internal medicine, you can subspecialize into GI and into all sorts of different other things. So in either case, this was like the umbrella organization that you can take part in and you can get CME credit for. Of course, we're med students. We don't get CME credit. We just kind of get exposure. We get a little bit of learning experience. And of course, if we, if we actually had to present any research we could present it there as well but that wasn't our purpose but anyway it was a very good trip and we learned I think we learned a lot there was a lot of things uh, maybe I would do differently next time and maybe some things I would do again uh, so I think all in all it was a good trip I think I probably went with the mindset uh, mindset that I was going to be networking and I am have no history of being a good networker so uh, that proved to be true still uh <laughs> so it was still good and it's you know fun to talk and chat with different people and to go to these different seminars and learn totally different things and i think that was kind of a nice thing and so i think just for that experience i would do it again i would recommend to somebody else if you were going to go to the acp conference make sure you're going to learn a whole bunch of stuff and then if you if you network then great that's a kind of extra gravy on top of everything else but like don't go for the only purpose of networking but i mean being there with brandon and alex, alex did help you in some ways because i mean they were there to network as well and so it kind of pushed you out of your comfort zone a little bit which i mean is the purpose you surround yourself with people or you should surround yourself with people who push you out of your comfort zone a little bit and who have habits that you want to have because if you're around people that you are that are maybe I don't know I don't want to say a step above but have different strengths than you it pushes you in that direction and can only make you a better student and a better doctor later on yeah I, I guess one thing that kind of popped in my mind when you were saying that there was one event that we didn't talk about and that was the chapters they, each chapter had their own reception or get together and so for the we had georgia north carolina and tennessee was one chapter and so we went me and brandon had went to one of these receptions that uh, it was kind of like a dinner slash reception to get to know and mingle with other people and so we went kind of thinking that we were it was going to be kind of a structured event where they were going to announce the next president of the chapter and maybe do some introductions and stuff like that but it really we stayed for probably about an hour <laughs> and 
it just seemed like people were just mingling amongst themselves. Like they all had like people that they knew, and so they all hung out with the people that they knew. So me and Brandon looked very odd. The only two people who know each other, and looking around the room, and trying to figure out if we recognize anyone from anywhere. And I think we ended up working up the courage to talk to one person just because <laughs> I was like, I swear he looks so familiar, but I cannot place him. And he ended up being, he's like a, not a new resident uh, in Atlanta, Emory, I think. And oh. like, so we chatted with, we chatted with him for a little bit, but there was no, like, <laughs> there was nothing about his medical school journey that seemed to have maybe put him into an overlapping area with me. Like, I don't know why I thought I recognized him. He just looked very familiar. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, so we, we kind of left that after about an hour and a half because that wasn't really, wasn't really our scene, I guess. <laughs> and again, like, but like Karen said, because like, I, I was going to be content just leaving the event without figuring out who this person was. And Brandon was like, we might as well figure it out. And so... <laughs> tracked him down and like hey do we know you <laughs> which is always like a, a great way to start a conversation but <laughs> anyway so that was I'm glad to have I was I was glad to have Brandon and Alex there because they were very good at kind of doing icebreakers or at least uh breaking the ice with conversations and Brandon got himself a uh a way elective with one of the program faculty members while he was there, and I got to chat with him a little bit too. I, I mean, I'm not uninterested in that rotation. But I just I don't have any connections to Iowa, and I'm not. Uh, I might I might put my application out there when it comes time for it, but uh, at the end of the day, I don't really know if I want to do an elective out there with no connections and find very little financial ability to do stuff like that. So yeah, but I mean, it is kind of interesting to see along those lines, like. The medical community, while big, is very small, <laughs> right? Because even when, I don't know if we've, we touched on this before when we talked about Nora's MRI, but even then, like the anesthesiologist that came in to talk to Eric about what he was going to do with Nora knew that Eric was a medical student and then his daughter was a medical student and small world she's going to she's going to northeast georgia's emergency medicine program which is the same one that uh seth elu is going to he's been on the program he's going to northeast georgia's <laughs> medical center's emergency medicine program so they are in the inaugural class of that emergency medicine program so it was like very small world you know what's this this doctor from scottish North Atlanta Hospital, who's an anesthesiologist, ha happens to have a daughter who's going to the same program that somebody I know is going to. So it, it is, yeah, it's a very small, small world in that regard. Which um, can be nice. It can be nice. It can also bite you in the butt, I think. <laughs> yeah, some of the things, I guess, to supplement what we talked about last week. Uh, I think I said it last week, but I do want to reiterate because I think uh, if you didn't hear it and you heard me say something opposite like the week before the slows are not going to be a thing for internal medicine for at least a couple cycles if they do ever implement them so as much as we had kind of heard that they might be implementing some kind of form for chairs of the of uh, rotation so internal medicine chair would have to fill out 
That is not being rolled out anytime soon. At least not this cycle, probably not next cycle. So, But they're talking about it because I, apparently there is a way that you should write a well, letter. Well, that's, that's not why they're talking about oh. it. They're, they're talking about it because it could be something that comes out in the future. It is an actual full-blown form that you should fill out for students, for that department chairs would need to fill out. For, but the program director I did talk to said the reason why it hasn't really been rolled out yet is because internal medicine is a very broad field. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of people in the programs. And so it's kind of hard to get everyone to do all the same thing. And as kind of evidence of that, she did say that there is a particular way they want letters of recommendations to be written and nobody seems to do it that way. So that's, I think, essentially what you were kind of getting mm -hmm. at. So there is a format for letters of recommendation that I guess in total medicine doctors, I haven't found it yet myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the program director told me. So, and apparently people don't do it that way. So I don't know. Uh, other things I, that came out of it, I guess there is a supplemental application for internal medicine. And I believe as it was described to me, is that you get to signal to certain programs your interest. Oh. So, like, you can apply to 200 programs, but on the supplemental, you can say, I have a very strong interest anywhere in the southeastern United States. Or you can, like, pick a few programs. I'm not exactly sure the limitations of how many programs you can signal to directly, but uh, some program directors said that they might use the signaling as an indication of someone who really, really wants to be at that location. It's not just casting a wide net. And so maybe if you don't have the best numbers, you might get <laughs> at least an interview or at least a good look if you use the signaling appropriately. I did hear from the other side that some people look at the signaling and kind of go, eh, why would someone from California want to go to Alaska or, you know, like something like that. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, that was kind of a takeaway that each, each uh, program director kind of had their own thought processes for everything. So there's really not a one-size-fits-all as much as I'm, you know, I sit here and I try to give advice. So I try to say, this seems to be the way things are and this is the way I'm going to try to do things. This seems to make sense. There's always going to be like one or two program directors who are like, that's not at all how I'm doing it. So. Yeah. Well, I think you even got told on at the conference that, oh, we don't really look at step... We haven't looked at step one for a while now. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, nothing that you've been told. But, like, there were some directors that said they looked at shelves. There were some directors that said... Uh, so no, no, none of them said that they looked at shelves. Oh, no? They looked at passes and fails. Oh, passes and fails. Same, same thing. Mm, but you can fail, like, a core rotation and... There's a way to pass the shelf and fail a core rotation. It's all about how your school does the, the point systems. So okay. if you fail a shelf, Fair. generally speaking, you do fail the, the core. But anyway, there's the, every every school has their own system of how do they do things. So that was, as far as the shelves go, one program director did mention that they are building, I can't remember if it was a program director or if it was our academic advisor, but they are building 
a database for prog uh, for schools to add shelf scores into the EVAS system, I believe. It was EVAS or something like that. And it is so far, quote unquote, just gathering information at this point uh, and not being sent to programs. So take that for what it is. Uh, <laughs> but the the... I believe it was our academic advisor. It could have been a program director. I'm going to give you a lot of my timeline mixed up here. <laughs> but essentially, he, he insinuated that it's only going to be a matter of time until those shelf scores um, get passed on to programs. Because, you know, if it's being collected for data, use, you know, analyzing data, at some point, maybe a program director might want to look at that and say, Maybe this is a good indication of how someone's going to do on their boards because essentially a lot of program directors, they want, they want good doctors. Obviously, they want to be having train, they want to have trainable doctors that they can teach. But I guess at the end of the day, they also want doctors who will pass the board exam because if you, you, know, if you have great board exam pass rates, then that looks good on the program versus if you have, I don't know, one-third of your... Uh, your residents fail their board exam. That does not look good. It might get the um, the credentialing agency to come take a look at your program a little bit closer, <laughs> and so nobody wants that to happen either. So, uh, so anything that I think I think it's just kind of like when you go into med school. A lot of medical schools look at MCAT scores and certain things. It's uh, trying to look into look into the future based off of certain data points and try to ascertain. Can this person pass step one? And now we're fast forwarding up to residency and now they're going, can this person pass their boards? Well, I think, I don't know. I think passing your course, like it shows a consistency and then it also shows like you can study something at, and retain the information. Because as much as like these big tests show that you have the information, I feel like a lot of times it's m more stressful than just your everyday knowledge type. I don't know. I feel like the step one test is more stressful than your shelf exams. Yes, just because of magnitude. It, it's, it's, I don't know if I would say it. So it's a function, there's a few functions why step one is more stressful. I mean, there's... <laughs> It's 200 and something questions, so it's bigger and longer than any of your other exams. Two, for the longest time, it was historically like the ultimate sorter, like the ultimate sorting hat of medicine. If you got a 200, you were probably going to end up in primary care somewhere. If you got in the 380s, you were going to be in dermatology or whatever, like... It was the sorting hat of medicine, essentially. Yeah, but... And so you felt it was a lot of pressure because you felt your entire career as a doctor would be on. determined by this one exam. Yeah, but I feel like shelf exams are a little bit more realistic when it comes to actual medicine because you tend to practice in your... I don't want to say... Scope of practice. Your yeah, scope I mean, of like, practice. if you're going to be so, a... a, a if you're going to be a general surgeon, you're going to you're going to basically practice general surgery medicine, and you're not going to be practicing pediatrics. So you're not going to be practicing I don't know certain 
very strict, you know, like internal medicine. Hi, yeah. hi, yo. So five years down the road, you're going to be like, well, yeah, I learned that at some point, but it's not useful information to me right now. Sure. Yeah. So in that sense, I feel like if you can retain information on this one topic and do well, then no, does that make... I'm not really sure if I, I'm following. Oh, you're okay. talking about retaining information and then you're talking about your board exam. I, I, I just don't know how the shelf exam proves that you can retain information. It, I think it proves that you can do well in specific areas that you are placed in over time. Because when you look at like the schedule of um, a residency, like they have you do cardiology for a while, they have you do OB for a while, they have you do... Yeah, so, you have certain rotations you have to do. So in that sense, I think it's very similar to cores. And so how you do in your cores, pass or fail, will show how you will do during your residency program. Okay. Yeah. The consistency of it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I, wasn't, it, I wasn't explaining that very well. You're fine. I, I was just trying to figure out what you, where you were going with that. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, if you're basically saying it's it's a replica or a possible view into how you might do in residency, that does make sense because you might do a, a few weeks in OBGYN, you might do a few weeks in uh, ER or something like that. And so then being able to look back at your shelf scores and your your core rotations and say, okay, he did okay in these areas, he'll probably do okay rotating through these areas as well. Obviously, if you want to be a surgeon, you should try to do as best as you can in the surgery shelf or the surgery core rotation. And obviously, you know, like, and same for any other specialty, really. But that's kind of going beyond that. But So anyway, there's just a lot of uh, different data points that program directors are essentially looking at and trying to, and every, every program is going to use something different. And every, every program, da- uh, program director is going to kind of tell you different things. I think one program director was saying, make your uh, personal statements very bland. We just want to get to kind of know you, but don't make them, don't spice them up too much. Just kind of make it just enough. That I, get, I, can, I can kind of get to know you. So when we meet you for the interview, we have some things to, to talk about. And other program directors were like, make sure it's good, it's interesting, someone's going to read it, make sure that it maybe stands out, tells a good story about yourself, and then answers any gaps in your application. So obviously a lot of program, apparently program directors care very deeply about gaps in education. So if you took longer to get through basic sciences, if you failed a class, if you had to retake something, if... You took a leave of absence, whatever it is. They want that apparently explained, and all the uh, it seemed very consistent from the seminar I went to that program directors want that explained in the personal statement, but it doesn't, and it shouldn't be the entire personal statement. So I don't know how to do that, how to juggle that. To be honest, I'm not going to say that that's going to be easy, but there's obviously going to be a one or two lines explaining, hey, I didn't do very well on this, but I learned from that, and now I'm here, and then move on with your personal statement. Don't make that the entire thesis or theme of your personal statement. Yeah. Overall, I think the seminar was a good good thing to go to, and if anything else, (laughs) 
everybody looks at you differently on your application. <laughs> Every program has their own. And so, I mean, in that sense, don't ever count yourself out, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, it was just very frustrating not knowing, like, they couldn't, as far as I can tell, none of the program directors were willing to talk about what they, what criteria they would use to filter patient uh, applicants in or out. Because uh, they, they would all look at the statistics numbers that you can find on the and the match website, essentially. And they showed, like, okay, for every one uh, one spot in a program, let's say there's 100 applicants, and then the uh, program would use a filtering process, and they would only look at 50 of those 100 applicants. So most programs weren't forthcoming about, like, what they were doing to knock off the first 50 applicants. Like, were they using step one scores? Were they using step two scores? Were they... Were they using maybe GPAs? Were, you know, what were they doing? Were they anyone who had a fail? Anyone who had a lead? I, I, anyway, I, I don't know. They, then these program directors would say so. And when asked, like, what's your fil- what are you going to filter by? They were like, well, we're going to have to do some soul searching. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's interesting. Like one, I think, Karen, you alluded to it earlier. One program director said that they had stopped using step one as a filtering process and they were using step two. But then another program director said that they weren't using step two actively until they were doing rank, uh, rank order for the match. So after they had interviewed a whole bunch of people, then they were going to go back and look at their step two scores and rank them based off of the step two scores and how much they liked them. Anyway, I think uh, Karen's getting antsy here because we have a child who's <laughs> apparently in desperate need of some help. And so we're going to sign off tonight. <laughs> quick and easy here and <laughs> follow us on instagram med family empty <laughs> and you could get through this and be great. Uh, <laughs> i don't know if you could hear the screaming in the background but yeah. um <laughs> instagram family Ma- uh no med family, family md send us a message or any questions you have uh we'll see you guys next week bye, bye.